Hello and welcome back. Come sit for a spell and join me around the cauldron to talk about witchcraft, polytheism, and the intersection of magic and mundane. This week, I have a wonderful guest on the show. I'm talking with Christine Grace, author of a brand new book, The Witch at the Forest's Edge, 13 Keys to Modern Traditional Witchcraft. As a literal witch that lives in a log cabin in the forest, Christine brings with her spirit-led witchcraft, local green witchery, and a connection in community while being a solitary witch. Before we get into the conversation, I have to give a wonderful shout out to my patrons on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, and it helps keep Thank you so much for your support to help keep the podcast and channel up and running. A big thank you goes out to Rose, Jess, Lee, Angie, Magical Crafting, Bliss, Beverly, Jessica, Jennifer, Laura, Chris, Nad, Brittany, Meredith, Jessica, Tia, Stephanie, Gordon, Brink, Emily, C, Ryanon, Brian, Anthony, and Elizabeth. If you join me on Patreon, you get first access to all videos, podcasts, posts. If you join me on If you join me on Patreon, you get first access to all videos, podcasts, and posts. We're also still thick in our book club. Right now, we're reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Join us over on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And without further ado, let's chat. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, We have Christine on the podcast and on YouTube. Thank you so much, Christine, for being here. Thank you, Megan, for having me. And I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So for anybody that doesn't know who you are, can you give a sort of little introduction um, who you are, what you do? Sure. Um, well, in this space, I'm a podcast co-host um, of Betwixt and Between, which is just a conversational podcast about witchcraft. And I'm the author of a book that recently came out with Wiser called The Witch at the Forest Sedge, 13 Keys to Modern Traditional Witchcraft. And um, I live in a log cabin in a forest with my family and uh, <laughs> I'm kind of like that literal kind of like fairy tale witch in the forest and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so do you consider yourself a professional witch or do you do you do like other stuff on the side um I guess I do consider myself a professional witch because so many of us it's only part-time anyway, the kind of professional piece of it. And so that's certainly true for me. Um, Between the podcast and writing, and then doing tarot readings and mentorship sessions for my clients, um, that's really only a part-time amount of work. My actual job is being a homeschooling parent. Um, so, So yeah, a professional witch, but not, not as a full-time job at all. <laughs> so I have to ask, what is your favorite part about living in a forest? Living at the, the, the stereotypical witch in the forest. What's your favorite part? So I think my favorite part is that previously, if I wanted to like take a walk in a forest, I had to pack my kids up and like, we're probably going to be gone for a while. So we've got to have snacks and like, you know, just all the things. 
whether it's just me or much more likely all of us, there's mm-hmm. just a bunch of stuff that you have to get ready. And then you have to like plan the driving time and blah, blah, blah. Whereas um, in this case, I can just step outside onto a trail. Um, and that is just kind of what we do every day. And instead of being kind of a special occasion, it's just sort of woven into the fabric of my life. And that means that then the land that I'm spending the most time with, instead of being, you know, in our old house, which I also really love being a backyard, uh, which was very special in its own way. Like this place where I'm hiking is also that place that is my home. And that relationship is just, I don't know, it's, it's different than anything I've ever experienced. Like I'm not um, like a rural dweller born and bred, uh, but I am really enjoying the heck out of it. (laughs) I have to say, I am a little jealous, just a little bit, (laughs) but I was born in the city. So the city is like what I know. Um, So you said that you had um, a book come out by Wiser for anybody watching on YouTube. I actually have it here in my hand. I just finished it last night. I was like, I need to finish it. I need to finish it. It's, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's called the witch at the force edge 13. Yeah. 13 keys to modern traditional witchcraft. How did you come to write this book? What was it born out of? Well, first of all, I'm glad you enjoyed it. This would be so awkward if you were like, actually, I hated it. (laughs) You totally shouldn't read it. The worst. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So, so basically I didn't mean to write a book, um, which is weird because I have a background in writing, but that was not my intention with this particular thing. Um, So I am one of the founding members of a small tradition. And so we have always had kind of our own teaching materials, um, which previously were written by a number of people kind of collaboratively. And then it was kind of time for a refresh of our teaching materials. And that just fell to me entirely. And so I'm getting kind of close to the end. And it took me years because I, I mean, we had something we were already working with and I was like having babies at the time. So I'm like, you know, like nursing a child and typing with one hand. And um, so it took me a really long time and I get kind of close to the end and I'm talking to our kind of um, leadership council, I guess you could call them. Um, And they're, and I'm like, so this just feels really different to me than previous iterations of our teaching materials. And they're like, yeah, well, it is different because this is a book that you wrote. And I, I kind of had to be told, like, because this is a book that you wrote. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is different because this is a book that I wrote. Um, and then so much credit to Corey Hutchison for being like, it is a book that you wrote and there's market for it and people are going to want to read it. And um, so then I just submitted it to Llewellyn and Weiser and they both wanted it. And so I picked the better offer and now there's a book. <laughs> I'm just so grateful <laughs> that it even happened. So it originally started out just as writing teaching material for your tradition. Mm-hmm. That's so yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've always had this kind of, um, I don't know, I guess kind of idiosyncratic way of teaching of kind of creating this framework of ideas and then kind of having a mentoring relationship with the 
in case you can't tell, I've got a cat who's just like continuously walking in front of me. Um, And then kind of creating this mentoring dynamic with our apprentices in terms of kind of filling in the specifics for them, like their bioregion, their sense of ancestry. Um, and, And that kind of style of teaching lends itself to kind of a peculiar style of writing. Um, and so that's, that's what I've been working through. And I knew I really needed to get it done because people needed the, <laughs> the new version to teach from. Um, and it took me so long. And while I was doing it, it seems like the kind of broader witchcraft community was really evolving. Like when we started the tradition, we had to write our own teaching material because we couldn't find anything that was even close enough to use. Like there were books that we recommended, but we'd recommend them and say, this is a great book like for this. This mm-hmm. is a great book, but we don't require this perspective or whatever. And so we had to have something that worked for us. In the meantime, it seems like some of the concepts that um, are so important to us around ancestry and animism and um, kind of like a non-dogmatic approach to theology and really getting very, very local with your green witchcraft. Um, All of those things became so prevalent in the community. And so um, suddenly it seemed like, yeah, I guess like there is some support and interest here. I really like that it started out as teaching material because I feel like a lot of books are like, it starts out as a, as a book, right? Like I have this idea for a book and I'm going to write it, but reading yours, you can tell that the material is written, um, to, to teach and sort of give like a guideline, kind of like a, like a basic structure is, is that right? Like, I don't want to assume. Yeah. Book. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's, I'm glad you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, yeah, <laughs> I feel like, like it's, it's the loom and you weave your path on the loom. Um, you know, it's, it's a structure and an understanding of how some things work and an explanation of certain things that are sometimes kind of glossed over, like just go do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of getting into the nitty gritty of some of that stuff, but absolutely it's a framework and, because witchcraft is so personal and because we're so interested in things like ancestry and folklore and bioregionalism, um, it is going to be different for everybody. And so I can't really tell you like, this is exactly what you need to do. Like work with this material in this way, raise this tool at this moment, Mm -hmm. because that's, it's so personal. I love it. Um, so with, with that in mind and it being sort of like a structure, the, are the chapters arranged in a way that if someone was entirely new to any sort of practice, it would be start from chapter one and work progressively through the rest of the chapters? Or is it made to be like read through completely and then applied? Um, I think that's kind of up to you. Up to the person. Um, yeah, I think if there, if you have areas of interest, I mean, this is kind of how I approach any book, right? Like sometimes I read the most interesting things first, like whatever mm-hmm. I find the most interesting, I will sometimes kind of flip to those first. That said, there is a method to the madness of the book. Like it does go in order on purpose because it's an order that 
tends to work. Like for example, if you are very new to the practice of hedge riding, mm-hmm. it is probably going to be really, really helpful for you to read the ritual chapter before you start trying to push yourself into hedge riding work if that's not something that comes naturally for you. And so I intentionally put ritual before hedge riding so that you would have had some practice like building really successful rituals before somebody who doesn't hedge ride is kind of just trying to roll their own for the very first time. I'm glad you brought up the head writing chapter because that is something for me that I'm, I've never done. I have, I struggle with that type of thing, like head writing, astral projection, really um, all of that style or work. And so that chapter was really interesting to me because in my head, I'm thinking like, I want to do this how do I do this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and so hearing that, you know, it is put together sort of like ritual first and when you can build the ritual, then this thing that comes next will or should, or probably will be easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very intentional like that. And I think you'll notice that commuting with spirits chapter is right up front. And that's because everything else you're going to be doing kind of relies on building those the skill set to kind of form relationships with various spirits because spirit work is such a key part of witchcraft or at least my kind of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so I, I hope that you do find the hedge writing chapter helpful. It's a long chapter for a reason. Um, And, and it's interesting, like the diversity that you encounter with people, like some folks are like, Oh, you mean that thing that I just kind of naturally do? There's a name for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, and and some people are like, you you think I'm seriously going to be able to do this? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so people can can really run the gamut. So I'm sure for some people they'll be like, why is there so much explanation of this? Like this just comes naturally to me. Mm-hmm. Um, And so maybe reading that whole chapter at great length is not for that person. (laughs) Um, But then there will be other people for whom it's not just like second nature and having like really laid out is helpful. (laughs) That would definitely be me. Um, I liked how you also included sections at the end of each chapter for not only practice, but reflection. And I myself plan on going through again and trying to answer all of the questions because like the section on getting, getting local, I, I forget what the chapter is called. Is it just the green witchcraft chapter? Green. It's called green and local. There you go. That one, especially being in a new place because I moved to Florida June of 2020. So I haven't even been here for two years yet. What a time to move. Right. Oh my gosh. It was, it was really chaotic. (laughs) Um, But some of those questions like uh, name five birds in your area or, um, you know, paying attention to what grows native. I don't know those answers because I'm not from here and I wasn't taught that, you know, I think in school, my daughter is learning about some of the local plants and animals here. I didn't have that luxury because I'm not from here. So I I definitely appreciate those chances for reflection and practice. 
Now I know this was written as teaching material. So is that something that you also do when you're teaching or working with your apprentices? Are those questions like, what am I trying to say? Would those questions be like the same that you would ask of your apprentices? Well, I tried to pick questions that we've used before Mm -hmm. um, and that would be kind of broadly applicable. So that's kind of the difference between, you know, because in the end, while it was teaching material, when you're actually working one-on-one with a person, you know that that individual specific stuff, like Mm -hmm. what their strengths are, what their interests are. And so I can kind of tailor the work that we're doing together to whatever. So for you, I'm sure we would do spend a lot of time like working specifically with your local area so that you're digging into your sense of place. Right. Mm -hmm. But for somebody else, maybe that's not, not even a thing. Um, You know, they're really, really super rooted and they can maybe push a little bit, but um, so so with teaching one-on-one, especially, or in a really small group, you have a lot of flexibility to kind of push and pull in just the right places for each person. Cause everybody's different. Um, and with the book, I had to say, okay, what are the most likely to be kind of widely applicable questions? Um, but it's true. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is a weird, a weird phenomenon. I think that so many authors I know, once they published a book, then they felt like they had kind of the credibility to teach, um, where, whereas it's like the literal exact opposite. I had to write a book because I and others needed like a refresh on our teaching material. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, so yeah, it is, it is kind of strange like that. And I think, you know, an authentic process of learning for all of us, no matter how experienced we are, and this is absolutely true for me, is that there is practice and there is also reflection. Um, And because witchcraft is like a dirt under the fingernails practical thing, there's always going to be that practice piece to it. Um, But but so too is research and reading and reflecting mm-hmm. and thinking about yourself and the world around you, basically. So you mentioned earlier that you do divination and you also do mentor work and that this is sort of born out of um, material for your tradition. Does your tradition grow? What am I trying to say? <laughs> Like, do you, I don't know if you guys use the word um, coven, but does your tradition have different like offshoots elsewhere? Um, So at various points in time, there have been like local groups. So for a long time, there was one here um, in the Nashville area and there was one in like Nevada. So sometimes there are groups that form, last for a number of years, but you, um, but really we call ourselves solitary in community, meaning that whether we're working with a local group or not, um, we're prioritizing our own work as well. Um, that you're not giving up yourself to be part of a group, even if you are part of a group and that being solitary isn't worse than being, um, within a group. Um, so yes, it grows, but 
uh, in a very organic way. So a person might know another person who they want to work with. And so now they're entering into um, an apprenticeship dynamic in person or someone reaches out to one of us online and it's like, hey, I am super into what you do. Um, can I? <laughs> and uh, and so, so yes, it does grow and it is both local and at a distance. It just kind of depends on what folks are doing at any given time, really. That's really cool that it, it expands and contracts and grows naturally. Yeah. So for, for mentorships, people can just reach out to you or any person. How does that work? So I, I realized I should clarify something. So I do currently two separate, but related things. My tradition takes apprentices. Any initiate in my tradition can take an apprentice anytime they want to. They don't need approval from the council of voices or anything. They're an initiate. You just, you do you boo. Um, and they will work with the book as kind of the foundational material for that relationship. And of course, pull in whatever else makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is a tradition apprenticeship process. I currently have a tradition apprentice and I usually only take one or two at a time with those. Then, um, an interesting phenomenon happened when, I started doing tarot readings for clients with folks saying, well, look, it's not that I'm interested in joining your tradition per se. It's that I would just sort of like to like talk to you about my practice. Um, so should I like sign up for a tarot reading and then we just don't do it? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I was kind of like, well, you know what? <laughs> we could just call that mentorship. Um, and so that, that kind of grew into not just doing tarot readings, but in fact, what I even do more of now is mentorship, which is not necessarily something where their for sure goal is to eventually join the tradition. It may just be that somebody is a little stuck in their practice, or they're trying to move from being kind of a book learning witch to a hands-on witch, or there's just a certain area that they can't like quite break into or, you know, any, any number of things where someone's kind of looking to stretch their skills in a certain way. Um, and then, then that is just a service that I offer, just like I offer tarot readings. Mm -hmm. um, it's by Zoom. It's the same thing, except I will only read for you if it comes up in the course of, of the mentorship session. Um, and that doesn't have to have any tie to the tradition. But, but yes, if you are interested in either one of those things, you can let me know. Okay, cool. And we'll make sure for people listening or watching, I'll have all of um, any related links in the description. Um, oh, and being a tradition, sorry, mm -hmm. being a tradition apprentice doesn't mean I will be your teacher. Um, right. There are other initiates in the tradition, so it probably won't be me actually, <laughs> but they're, but they're amazing too. <laughs> You've got a lot to do already. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we mentioned already that you live in the forest, but that you also lived in the city and that you've lived yeah. in apartments. How was that transition 
because you aren't you said you're not a, a suburban dweller by nature um yeah how, how well, was that I've, transition I've lived all over the place um in all kinds of different settings and you mentioned that that there's like a questionnaire in the green and local chapter about um you know like dame birds or something like that mm-hmm. so the first version of that questionnaire that I ever wrote I lived in an apartment when I wrote it um and I lived in an apartment and I had in in Tennessee which was new to me at the time um and I had an apprentice in Florida um who lived with two seasons instead of four and I was working with like many generations back of teaching material and it just wasn't working for me (laughs) and um and so I had to start writing new material to both kind of meet my own needs as an apartment dweller in a new area and his needs as a person who is kind of steeped in kind of modern paganism but lives now in a two-season area um, and so, so for me, the transition between different locations and different kinds of housing situations has really helped make sure that my, hopefully, approach is broad enough to encompass a variety of needs and specificities, um, because I really, I really believe that connecting with a sense of place is for everyone, and it's pretty unusual to live in a cottage in the woods, like a fairy tale witch. That's not most people's reality. It wasn't my reality for the vast majority of my 41 years of existence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, but it's not just for me. Like it, this is for everybody connecting with a sense of place and being a local rooted bioregional witch working with those local spirits is, ab- it was for me when I was an apartment dweller. It was for me when I was, a city dweller in a single family home. I was for me in different climates. And, you know, so I think that for those who are interested in practicing that way, it's for you too, wherever you are, whether you're from where you live, whether your living situation is your perfect ideal or not, it's totally for you. If you want it. (laughs) If you want it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what kind of tips would you give to someone that's sort of stuck? That's sort of maybe like if they are in a concrete jungle in the middle of the city and they are having trouble connecting, what, mm-hmm. what kind of tips do, would you give to them? Cause yeah, I, so I've been there. I have been that yeah. stuck person. So specifically, uh, like city apartment dwellers. Yeah. Um, cities are amazing and so alive. Um, and so it is, it is much like the forest is a wonderful place to connect. Cities actually are too. It can just be a little less obvious. So I would suggest kind of going with what you're drawn to. Like, what are you kind of interested in where you live? Are you excited about thinking about the geology beneath your building? Is that interesting? Or are you kind of like, mm Are you excited about the fungi that live in the mulch around like the landscaping around your building? Are you excited about looking up and seeing birds? Are like, what, 
what is your thing? Like, are you pumped about wind and weather? Are you in love with constellations? Um, even with light pollution, you can still see some stars most of the time. Um, so it kind of depends on what, what you're interested in, but there's always a place to go, whether it's, um, so I've, I've lived in some apartment buildings that have like a little strip of landscaping around them and some that literally have nothing around them, but um, there are always parks. There's always geology. There's always animals. And it may not be quite the romantic animals that you have in mind. Like if you tend to kind of romanticize like the beach or the forest or something, the animals and plants that you have near you might not be exactly those romantic ideals. And it also might not be what you see in a lot of books about witchcraft, where it's kind of specific lists of, you know, work with this animal in this way, work with this plant in this way. Those plants and animals might not be yours, but that's, that's okay. You can draw on those ecological resources that are not witchy and kind of pull those non-witchy resources into your practice. Um, and one of my absolute favorites is geology because it's always there. Even if it's covered over mostly with concrete, there is still some really interesting geology happening underneath you. And we talk a lot about grounding and what can be more grounding than to really know what you're grounding into. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for me here, that's definitely been a different experience because in the part of Florida that I'm in, everything is sand and um, the houses are built basically on packed sand on top of rocks. <laughs> and so before this, I was in Oregon where it's a lot of solid ground, lava rock and mountains. And so that's definitely been an adjustment for myself even, but I, mm -hmm. I like that you would say, start with what's underneath you. The, the ground yeah. is, you know, there is earth under that concrete. <laughs> Sometimes people say, leave the city and like go hiking outside of the city. And that's fine. I mean, obviously I did it too. Do it if, if you like it. And that it can give you a sense of what that area used to look like. Um, but, but I, I don't like the implication that where you live isn't magical also. Um, so, so that's why things like geology and even water can be such such an important one because even if you don't have natural water features or what appear to be natural water features um so I used to live in a part of Nashville that um that was like very built up and urban and so there was no no such thing as like an open creek or anything like that um I mean there is a big river that runs through the city but in my neighborhood there was there's nothing However, I looked at some old maps and found that some of the, what I thought of were just drainage ditches were actually old creeks that had been like kind of covered over with culverts to kind of make way for human development. And so, yeah, they were not exactly the aesthetic ideal perhaps of like this pristine wilderness, but they were absolutely magical as heck. <laughs> <laughs> so how how did you find those maps because I'm thinking in my head like oh that would be really interesting to look at where I am because the highway is not very far from me I'm like but what did it look like before do you use like mm -hmm. 
uh, city websites or anything like that? Yeah, you can. Um, and a lot, a lot of city archives are actually entirely or partially online. So you may actually be able to do some of it just on the internet. Nice. Um, I got into it because I joined my neighborhood Facebook group and it turned out that a city archivist lived in my neighborhood and she was retired and she was really interested in teaching me about the city archives. Um, and I was very interested in learning. So, um, so it really started with just kind of reaching out to my neighbors and just kind of asking some questions until finally, you know, and various people answered in different ways, but this one person answered in perhaps the most explosively helpful way. Um, and that's why I kind of try to pass along cities have archives yeah. <laughs> as much as I can, <laughs> because I didn't really know that even as the daughter of a librarian, I guess I just kind of forgot that cities have archives and they're like amazing resources and they go back into history and wherever you live, no matter how urban it is, it has changed. And so you can see it changing in the living organism that it is. Um, and I think that really helps to contextualize that the city you live in is alive. It's been changing certainly slowly over time, but it has been changing and you can kind of see its life unfold before you. Um, and of course it's free to go to city archives. Now, if you're having someone like do the work for you and look things up and you know, blah, blah, but it, but it is just like a library, basically. I'm going to have to look into that. I'm going to write that down. City archives. <laughs> um, so I meant to ask you at the beginning, but I totally forgot. I like to ask everybody how they discovered witchcraft. Has it always been there for you? Is it something you discovered like me as someone that was born in the 90s or grew up in the 90s? We discovered it through like Scott Cunningham. Um, how, did, how did you and witchcraft meet? All right. Well, I wasn't born in the 90s. <laughs> I'm considerably older than you. But um, so um, I discovered witchcraft in a public library in Coventry, Rhode Island. Um, through just like I was, I think like so many of us, I was always that kid who was like, interested in anything kind of witchy or paranormal or just like all kinds of related things um mm -hmm. you know loved the fairy tales totally the spooky ones that weren't like overly sanitized um <laughs> and I think so many of us were kind of that quirky <laughs> quirky shit but um but I found this book on divination and I and it was presented not as like a matter of historical interest it was like this is a thing you can do. People do this. And I just, I was just smitten. Like that was it. I was done all sewn up. Um, so then, uh, so that was probably um, 93, 94, something like that. So I couldn't drive yet and um, didn't really have like a great way to get around. So I'm like trying to like get rides from people to get to other libraries, like bigger libraries. So I can, because this is like, like the internet existed, but we didn't have it at home. And uh, even if we had, like, it's not like there was Amazon. I mm -hmm. mean, it just, it was like a different world. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
so then I'm like going to bigger libraries and I really started with um, Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler and um, Starhawk Spiral Dance because that was what I could access. And I pretty much read those books and was just like, yup, I am all in. This solves, I was always really interested in religion, but I was like, this kind of checks the boxes and like solves a lot of my like theological problems. <laughs> and I'm really excited about this. And, um, and so, you know, I'm like in my mother's backyard, like underneath the full moon, <laughs> um, devoting myself to a lifetime of practice and study of witchcraft. Um, and, <laughs> and then, and then right down the street in my small town, like an occult bookshop opened up. Uh, so <laughs> perfect so timing. I, yeah. And, you know, just here, here we are <laughs> many, many years later. <laughs> And you mentioned religion and now you have a background in religious studies, don't you? Mm-hmm. Am I yeah, remembering one that of, right? That's right. One of my graduate degrees is a master of divinity, which is master such a funny divinity. sounding thing to say, a master of divinity. I usually just call it a theological degree or like mm-hmm. theological and like spiritual caregiving degree or something because saying I'm a master of divinity is <laughs> so weird. <laughs> It just makes you extra witchy. Oh, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Now, how does that play into your your ideas of divinity and theology and deities? If you're comfortable uh, answering that question. I know that can be kind of personal. Um, Well, it's it's not that personal. I mean, I talk about it in the book. I don't really... um, like worship any gods um but that doesn't mean I'm not cool with them like I'm kind of cool with them all but nobody's on my altar right now um well oh geez sorry (laughs) come on cat no (laughs) it's okay cats are assholes (laughs) yes cats are assholes (laughs) um all right so I I was like nobody's on my altar Mary, the mother of God is on my altar, but not really so much as a deity in herself, but as a connection to my ancestors who for many generations had like a really strong um, connection with her. Um, so yeah, I work mostly with, I guess you would call some of my most prominent local land spirits, gods of a sort, um, but in a very local specific UPG kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like really interested in mythology and theology. And it's just like kind of a passion of mine. I love to think about it. I love to talk about it. I love to walk beside people while they're kind of figuring out where they're going to fit in with things, what their next step is. Um, and one of the things I really enjoy about being in the witchy community or at least my corner of the witchy community is that there's a lot of space for theological diversity. Um, And I hope that comes through in the book that Mm -hmm. I'm trying to kind of lay out some ideas to kind of help you think through where you might be coming from and not being like, and this is what you should do. Um, And yeah, so I, I guess where, how the theology part relates is that I'm really interested in theology. Um, but it doesn't relate in terms of like me having a really um, 
heavy devotional practice to a specific deity or pantheon of deities. Okay, cool. I've always been interested in hearing your perspective on that ever since you've mentioned it on one of your podcast episodes. I'm like, well, that's really interesting about having like a master's in divinity and now being a witch or being a witch at the same time. Like it's interesting how that would play together from my perspective, I guess. Oh, go get a master's of divinity. (laughs) Well, there are some things that are really helpful. Like, um, so my podcast co-host also has a degree from the same school, but we have different degrees and the differences that hers is just the theology side of things. And mine is the theology side of things and also different aspects of spiritual caregiving. So like, um, pastoral counseling and ritual and liturgy. Um, and so those kinds of like practical functions, um, were part of my degree. So like being, um, a hospital chaplain was a big part of what I did. And, um, so it really gets at both that like intellectual itch that I like to scratch. Um, and, and also like the, the practical aspects of that. I wanted to ask you too, because I'm curious about the whole process, um, of head writing. How did you get started with head writing? Is it something that you just did one time or a practice that you learned from somewhere else or divinely inspired? It's something that I'm, I've, I'm trying to practice I more think of. in the nineties. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so I think in the nineties, I, I read some things on astral travel mm-hmm. and shamanism, mm-hmm. um, like kind of core shamanism, neo shamanism. There's plenty of problems there, but, mm-hmm. um, but I did some reading in those areas and I just started messing around. I mean, whatever I was <laughs> like a teenager, I was just experimenting and seeing what I could do and what would happen. And, um, you know, it's not like a terrible approach to things. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there wasn't like really a lot of guidance available. I didn't really like, I kind of like taught a couple of my friends to be witches, so I wouldn't be alone, <laughs> but, um, but there wasn't really like anybody else I could learn from directly or not that, you know, how is I going to connect with anyone? Mm-hmm. So I just started messing around. And so that's how I started hedge riding really was, messing around messing um, around <laughs> yeah like like reading someone astral travel and like neo shamanism and then experimenting um and then for a while um i was part of another tradition where we called what we did shamanic witchcraft or that was one of the terms we used um and i was um eventually one of the leaders in that tradition and then whatever we disbanded that tradition blah blah, blah. um but, you know, through that work with that group, I kind of kept honing that in a specifically witchy way. And um, here we are. So, so then over time, like the language around that has developed. And mm-hmm. um, instead of calling it shamanic witchcraft, I would prefer to call it spirit flight or hedge riding. Mm-hmm. Either one of those is cool with me. Awesome. It brings back memories when you were talking about messing around. Like I used to do that. I used to say, okay, I'm going to go take a nap. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go try this thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> It never worked. It never worked. <laughs> Not as far as I know, but oh. I've never given up hope. And so one day it is going to work for me. It is going to speak that into existence. <laughs> it will. You can do it. If you know anyone who does hedge ride, if you can do it with them, they can kind of pull you with them sometimes. Oh, cool. I'll have to yeah. see if anybody that I know knows what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think we've basically covered everything that I had written down and then some, um, is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't talk about anything that I might've missed or glossed over? I don't think so. I think you're a wonderful interviewer. Oh, thank you. I always feel nervous when I'm talking to other people and it's recorded. (laughs) Yeah, no, me too. It's been a real learning experience to talk about myself (laughs) versus just like subjects. (laughs) Um, Okay. So last question, if you could choose one piece of advice or wisdom to share with magical people that are listening or watching, what would it be? One piece. Mm-hmm. One piece. Or two, um, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one. I guess I would say honor wherever you're at. Like, it's great that you're thinking about pushing on to the next thing, something you want to learn, something you want to build skill at. That's awesome. And don't stop doing that. But don't forget in your enthusiasm for kind of going on to the next step, which is our amazing about this. We're always all interested in learning. And that's fabulous. I love that about us. Um, But don't don't forget that what you're doing is something, even if it feels like nothing, even if what you're doing is reading some things, even if what you're doing is the simplest time at your altar whatever you're doing is something. And sometimes things that don't seem witchy totally are time that you're spending just like appreciating the tree that grows next to your house or time that you're spending putting up a photo of your great grandmother. Um, Lots of things count. So, Mm -hmm. so don't forget to give yourself credit too, while you're seeking. That's perfect. I love that. Um, so where can people find you online? Where are your, your, uh, online haunts? So I am at a witch betwixt on Instagram. Um, I am betwixt of betwixt and between the podcasts. I have a website, which is Christine And through that website, you can email me through Instagram. You can DM me in theory. I'm on Twitter out of which betwixt also, but I really only use Twitter to make like Instagram reposts weird, (laughs) but true. Um, So so email me or Instagram me. It's probably um, a great way to reach me. And, oh, and the website will like link you to the podcast. It explains about tarot readings and mentorship sessions. Um, There is a link to the traditions website, which sorely needs updating. So you can kind of connect to all the things that way. Awesome. And I'll make sure to include those links in the description and in the show notes. Where can people buy your book? Oh, anywhere, probably. Um, Anywhere you want to buy a book, 
like certainly Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, probably your local like occult metaphysical type shop. If they don't have it, they can order it because it's through Wiser. So, um, you know, it's pretty much available. However, however you want it, it comes in audiobook, it comes in Kindle, it comes in paper. Um, I guess that's the glory of traditional publishing is that it's pretty accessible. Awesome. I do know it's also unscribed. If oh, okay. People use scribed. Um, both the ebook and the audiobook are unscribed. Um, I'll leave a link for that too. Um, but anyways, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and uh, chatting with me today. It was great to meet you kind of face to face and speak with you. Um, yeah. And I guess uh, for everyone else, that is it. And we will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for having me on. It was yeah, so much fun. You're absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Once again, a big thank you to Christine for coming on and talking with me, and a big thank you to you, dear listener. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Christine. If you're interested, her book is titled The Witch at the Forest's Edge, and it can be found anywhere books are sold. All of Christine's links are in the show notes, so be sure to follow her on social media and subscribe to her podcast, Betwixt and Between, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for today, and I'll talk with you soon.